we've all had moments like that, right? Uh, moments where you've got a busy day in front of you. Uh, you're rushing to get out of the house, thinking about all that's coming. You reach to the kitchen counter. You grab your phone on the way out the door. You get to the car. You click and you realize I got 2% to get me through the day, right? And, and when you see something like that on your phone, what do you do? You panic, all right? There's that moment, uh, moment of panic because we've become so dependent on our phones. I mean, forget that civilizations for zillions of years now have all operated without a phone, but for some reason in the last 15 to 20, we've decided it can't live without it. And uh, what about the 2% too? You ever feel like you're running on 2%? You know, you ever, you ever feel like that you're going and going so much, we're, we're, we're overcommitted, if you think about it. I mean, we're overcommitted, we run ourselves ragged, and not just in the, the busyness, uh, it's not just the busyness that drains our internal battery, but there are so many other things. Like think about the impact of things like money, the, uh, some of the fears that we have, the anxiety around money, how that can drain us. Think about how uh, fractured relationships that maybe you have in your life. Uh, maybe some fears about the future. Think about how anxiety, uh, again, just the impact that anxiety can have on us and, and how it drains uh, maybe what we have left to give, or even the little bit that we have left to give. Well, this new series that we're starting today is all about a recharge of sorts. Uh, as we head into a new year, or I guess you could say a way to stop the drain uh, of the battery, and over the next few weeks we're going to suggest to you some new practices when it comes uh, to the everyday pace we keep. We're going to suggest some new practices when it comes to dealing with things like worry and, and anxiety and, and money. And I'll just tell you up front that I can't promise you that you will agree uh, with everything that I or with someone else has to say, all right? There's that possibility. Uh, I'll also say that I can't promise that uh, everything we have to say will be comfortable to hear, but get this, colonoscopies aren't comfortable either, right? Uh, and they save thousands of lives each year, and so sometimes you just have to deal with it. But here, here's the truth for us, all right? God wants, all right, God want, doesn't want you to live your life at 2%. Okay, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for any of us. He, he loves you too much to see something like that happen in your life. And so part of the recharge that we want to discuss together over this next few weeks means tuning into some important words and some instructions that he has for us and what I think, and I think you'll agree to, are some really critical areas for us in our life. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible, if you haven't already, and uh, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, it's about halfway through the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you uh, want to grab one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, go ahead. Uh, and it's on page 807 in there. We'll also have the verses here uh, for you on the screen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, again, page 807. Today, I want to talk with you about a way of operating financially that I think has the potential uh, to reduce the drain. And not only that, but impact your faith and greatly influence the way that you see your role as a follower of Jesus Christ uh, in this world. Now, I want to stop right here and just say this. I had somebody catch me after the last service and say, hey, do you dread talking about money? All right, I'll, I'll just say this. I don't dread it, but I get it. Like, I get how there are so many emotions and thoughts and issues and challenges that come with a conversation on money when it comes to church. But I'm not afraid to talk about it. Because it's made all of the difference. What I want to share with you today is a very personal story for me. All right? And just what I'm going to ask you to do today is just to consider for yourself. What does God's word have for us here? And how might it apply to your life and your situation heading into this next year? It's, for those of you that are brand new today, or maybe you're brand new to church, 
you're off the hook, all right, when it comes to this topic of money. You get to do whatever you want with what we share today, all right? And just think about maybe again, why does God have you here today? And maybe there are some things that you can take away, but please feel permission, all right, to do what you have to do with a conversation like this, except for shouting back at me or anything like that. So, all right, here's the thing. Here's what I realized. I think the unfortunate thing about money is this, that while it's essential for survival, maybe more than anything else, money has the ability to prevent us from experiencing everything that I think God wants us to enjoy in this world. And the truth is that I think for a lot of Christians, we have some idea for how we're to operate financially in God's kingdom. Um, I think we all know that we are supposed to trust God in this area in our life, that we're supposed to give back to him, but under the ongoing pressure of life and trying to make, me, eat, me, or excuse me, make ends meet every single month, think about how often fear wins out. And fear consumes us, and it's the fear of not having enough that drains us, robs us of our faith, and prevents us from enjoying, I believe, the freedom that God has for every single one of us. Now, it might, may surprise you. It may not to find that this problem when faith, with faith and money is not unique to us, that uh, even Christians were challenged by this 2,000 years ago, and it's why the Apostle Paul has some hopeful words and practical wisdom regarding the management of our personal finances, and that's what we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians today. His goal here was to teach these Christians, and in many cases very new Christians, how to live a life that reflected trust in God so that they might enjoy an even fuller life with him in this world. So let's pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Again, these are the Apostle Paul's words for us. He says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap sparingly. All right, Whoever sows generously will also reap sparingly. Is that right? Did I copy that right? No, I don't have that right in my notes. Wow, man, I missed that in the first service. Like, I was reading, it's like, that throws everything off today, all right? <laughs> Let's look at it on the screen. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, those who received these words initially were more than familiar with farming uh, and living in an agrarian sort of society. And so the Apostle Paul borrows from their culture in order to illustrate for them, uh, you could say, the difference between a foolish farmer and a wise farmer. Like, like this, a, a foolish farmer, according to Paul, is one who consumes everything they receive at harvest time. Uh, they leave nothing for the days ahead. They, they don't set aside any seed for next season's harvest. And so they scatter seed or they sow sparingly, and it's a smaller harvest that's going to result because of it. You could also say the foolish farmer is not willing to take risks, all right? And so therefore, you just simply get what you put into it. The wise farmer, though, on the other hand, lives off what he needs, all right, and then sets aside an appropriate amount for the next season. And so you could say the, the wise farmer sows generously knowing that a greater harvest is dependent on it. And so the wise farmer, unlike the foolish farmer, demonstrates faith and a willingness to risk knowing that good things will come from it. And so again, Paul's painting a picture, but not about farming. And for these people and for us today, he's painting a picture for how we manage our finances and how it relates to farming. It's like he says, you know, like a, like a farmer who sows sparingly, those who refuse to trust God and honor God with their finances miss out on even greater blessings. On the other hand, those who sow generously will invest in a harvest to follow 
that will exceed all expectations. I, I, I like it like this. Write, write this down in your notes. Here's kind of the big idea for today. I see this. I've experienced this. I think many of you have as well. God generously provides for those whose actions reflect trust in him. And I just want you to know that I believe this is true with all of my heart. And just very personally, this is something Jenny and I have experienced. I know it's something that many of you have experienced as well. Uh, It's a way, and again, we're not perfect in it, but it's a way of managing your finances and a life that reflects that everything that I have belongs to God. Everything, 100% of what I have belongs to him. Uh, I see my role as a manager of the resources that he's given me. All right, this is the way that Jenny and I see it. And so we're doing our best to give generously and then live off of the rest. And so we are practicing. I know many of you are doing these things. You're doing everything you can to trust God to provide for all of your needs. And again, what I want you to see, and for the rest of us, and if this is new for you today, that God generously provides for those who manage their finances in a way that reflect great trust in him. Now, Paul had already taught the church here, okay? Keep this in mind. He had already taught the church in Corinth about giving and tithing. In fact, the people of this church had previously made a commitment to support Christians who were being persecuted in Jerusalem. Now, for whatever the reason, by the time Paul writes to them again here in 2 Corinthians, the offering hadn't been taken yet. And we don't know for sure why, why they hadn't followed through. Some scholars suggest that uh, times were tough or uh, maybe that the church and the people were more concerned about their own financial survival. I'm sure there were many who weren't making great financial decisions and so they had nothing to give. And well, I think if we're honest, I think we're all smart enough to realize that it's many of those same reasons probably today why we struggle at times to give, uh, why it's so hard to take this plunge. I mean, it's it's the same reasons why people are, are, are reluctant or inconsistent. You, tough times, all right? Tough times in your home or in your life or um, an unknown about the future. Uh, uh, for some people, just not sure where to start. I don't even know where to begin or, or we're afraid that there won't be enough at the end of the month or uh, we're spending beyond our means right now, growing in debt or, or maybe this, and I talked with somebody after the first service, you know, two people that are married, but you're not on the same page, And so how do you find unity? How do you come together in something like this? And, well, and some people just choose to look the other way when it comes uh, to God's word, when it comes to us, when it comes to money and generosity, because, well, we think maybe we're better off doing it our own way. Look look at this. I think this is so good. Philip Yancey is a popular Christian writer, and he wrote this about our attitude towards money. He said this, many Christians have one issue that haunts them and never falls silent. For some, it's sexual identity. For others, it's a permanent battle against doubt. He says, the issue that haunts me is money. It hangs over me. It keeps me off balance, restless, uncomfortable, and nervous. I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. And then he goes on to say, mostly I wish that I didn't have to think about money at all, but I must somehow come to terms with the Bible's very strong statements about money. Now, what does the Bible have to say money? Well, again, that's kind of my hope today in just this little bit of time, the one Sunday that we're going to take in talking about Monday, but or about money today, but see here, Paul writes to the Corinthians, okay, and he writes what has also been referred to as the, the law of the harvest, okay, again, you reap what you sow, that if you'll be faithful, here's what I think Paul's saying, if you'll be faithful and choose God's way when it comes to how you handle your finances, that he will generously provide for your needs. Now, let me interject this again in case you're already thinking this. This isn't about fundraising today. 
okay? And this isn't what Paul is up to here. This is, yeah, that's always weird when I'm talking about the Apostle Paul and myself here. But it's not what I'm, what I'm talking about today. This isn't about God or Genesis getting any more of your money. But rather, again, how God wants his people to live. All right, how does he want us to live? And how choosing his way when it comes to money has the ability, I really believe this, to increase our faith and open a door for even more possibilities in this world. But let's be real. It can seem a little counterintuitive, all right, especially if you're new to this or if you find yourself in a really difficult place right now, you know, the more you give, the more God provides. How's that work? Or, you know, because if I'm struggling, then I really probably should take care of my needs first. I mean, that, that makes the most sense, but not in God's economy and not in his kingdom because God promises so much more to those who surrender everything they are to him. Let's go back to the text, um, verse 9 there. But before verse 9, four times in six verses, Paul uses the word generous. Uh, the word generous just means to be liberal in our giving and in our sharing. It means to be open-hearted, uh, if you would, in the Greek. Uh, but what does it mean as far as dollars and cents are concerned? Like, practically speaking, what does generosity look like on a daily, weekly, monthly sort of basis? Well, Paul addresses this with the people in Corinth. Look at verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now remember, as I said just a moment ago, this isn't the first time that Paul addressed giving with the Corinthians. In his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 16, he instructed the people to take an offering on the first day of each week. All right, the day they gathered together for worship. And so he reminds them here again. He writes, each of you should give. All right, notice that it's a very personal instruction. Paul expected every believer in the church to give or to contribute financially. Now, here's what's interesting about this church. It was full of all kinds of people. Uh, and at this time, 2,000 years ago, it was full of slaves. It was full of the working class, the rich and the poor. Some of them had a lot of money. Uh, others, not so much. But Paul, and, and so Paul says, Paul says nothing about the amount that you are to give, but he does expect them to give something, to contribute in some way, to let their heart be moved in such a direction. Because he knew, here's what Paul realized, he knew that God was able to do some really good things through the generosity of this church. But at the same time, Paul desired to see God do something special in the hearts of each person in that church and in their giving because Paul knew that God generously provides and works and grows faith in those whose actions reflect trust in him. And so again, he says, each of you should give. Notice very specifically what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. giver. See, here, here's the out for you today. If you find yourself offended or at odds with another talk about money, just take note here. It's your choice. Like the Apostle Paul even gives you an out and saying, hey, this is your choice. And remember the word generous means open-hearted, meaning you should give all right, as an expression of your heart and of your faith. And, and that's why at the same time he reminds the church, hey, be, be cheerful givers. And so that's just part of the reason why we have this odd little practice that every time we take the offering, we do the applause and shout, and maybe we get a hoot and holler once in a while. And it's to remind us that's what we're called to do in Scripture is the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so, again, Paul instructs them to make a conscious decision about their giving. He doesn't want them giving reluctantly or out of guilt, but to make a move, all right, in their life that reflects their trust in God. 
And here's what I think. I, I believe, and, and the Lord's doing some amazing things right now in this church and through you and through your giving. Um, but I bet for some of you, I really believe for some of you, you, you want to do this if you're not already. Uh, you want to see things align. You want to make such a move in your life. Uh, to manage money in a way that maybe more reflects what God wants for you, a move that demonstrates faith, a desire to more fully live for him, and to get involved in his work at a greater capacity. Well, here, here's what I want to provide for you. When, you. when you take all of what Jesus and, and people like Paul had to say about giving and generosity, three basic themes emerge, all right? Three themes that I think provide a picture all right, of what giving and generosity can look like today. Now, we call these here at Genesis the three Ps to giving and generosity. They're not original to us, but we'll still be talking about them 20 years from now, all right? We might change the letter in time and change the words or even add one, but these are just some general kind of practices, a picture of giving that have been passed down by others that, again, just help you kind of provide a framework and maybe for some of you today a next step when it comes to the way you manage your finances right now. But the first P is this, if you're taking notes. The first P stands for priority giving. And it's just this, that if you're not currently giving anything back to God, but ready to consider making such a move in your life, let me encourage you to consider the importance of making your gift a monthly priority in 2018. And that just simply means that of all of the items on your monthly budget, giving a financial gift back to the Lord through your church becomes your priority each month, meaning it comes right off the top. That means before you pay the mortgage, uh, it means before you pay the rent or uh, before you pay for the car payment or the grocery store, the very first financial gift you give, you make is back to the church that you call your home. That's what Jenny and I do. All right, that, that's what we do, that giving back to God through Genesis is a priority for us. It's our top priority, all right? And so priority giving is a way of acknowledging what is most important to you. Now, here's an, another reason why priority giving is important, especially as you get started, all right, if you're ready to make a move such like that. If you wait until all of the other monthly expenses are in your life are met, more times than not, it's going to impact the bottom line of your giving. All right, it's just true. It's just real. That's just the way that we are, the way that I operate with my priorities. Whatever, whatever you place first, think about it, takes precedence over everything else. And our generosity tends to be greatest after receiving provision. And so waiting until our provision is reduced by everything else will likely tends to minimize our generosity. But if you prioritize your giving, if you make a move that says this is going to happen first in my life, then everything else over time will take its proper place. So when it comes to generosity and, and trusting God, I, I think we do it best when we honor God with the first portion of our income. And we don't have time to talk about this today, but that just goes all the way back, you know, even to God and his covenant with his people at Sinai. I'll talk about that in just a moment of establishing the first, coming to God first. I want my heart to go after the Lord. I want him to be the, the, the Lord of my life and the very first priority. And so it's a way of acknowledging where your hope lies. It's an act that demonstrates faith and belief that God will always provide. So again, priority giving just simply means anytime you get paid, you give back to God first, and then you live off the rest. All right, you live off the rest. The second piece stands for percentage giving. And so often uh, when people are ready to start giving, they want to know where to begin. All right, and remember, Paul challenged the people to think about it, to pray about it, what they should give. And what's nice about percentage giving is that I think that it just objectifies the whole process. That when you decide to give a percentage of your income each month, 
it's pretty cut and dry then. Now, one of the words, if you're new to all this, that you'll hear thrown around in church or maybe even see in the Bible is the word tithe. All right, And the word tithe is just simply a mathematical term. It means tenth. All right, It means 10%. And again, as I said a moment ago, when God instructed Moses and the Israelites on righteous living at Mount Sinai, he established a way and a practice and a daily rhythm for them whereby they would always give 10% of their income and they would give it first. All right, it would be the first gift that they gave. Now, this can be confusing. All right, this can be a tough conversation for some because you might say, well, wait a second, that's Old Testament stuff and we're not under Old Testament anymore. Well, be careful with such an argument, all right? Because if you study Jesus, all right, and you study some of the things that he had to say, when Jesus came on the scene, not only did he affirm the tithe, but he challenged his followers to go above and beyond it and to actually be generous in their giving and in their living. That this was his kingdom principle for each of us. And so it was his way of saying that, hey, the 10% or the tithe is a great starting point, but don't you ever consider it to be the finish line in your giving. Because according to Jesus, a life of generosity means there's no ceiling to our giving whatsoever. Whatever the case, I think 10% is a great starting place if you're ready to give. If you're ready to make a move like that in your life. If we really, truly approach our finances as if God owns it all and he's the provider of all we need. Well, isn't giving 10% back to God each month the least that we can do? The least that we can do to honor him. Um, you, you've heard me say this before if you've been around Genesis. Jenny and I started tithing 18 years ago. We went from giving basically nothing one week to tithing the next week, all right? And it was just simply because I wasn't working for a church, and now I was working for a church, and if we were going to teach people to tithe, I probably ought to do it too, all right? And so we started doing that. I'll tell you this. It's one of the best decisions we've ever made uh, in life and in our marriage. And I'm not going to lie and say that it hasn't been hard at times, uh, especially in the very beginning. It could be really tough. The furnace would go out. Something would happen to the car. There'd be a big month in front of us. There were months when our giving took a lot of faith. It did. And so we had to hold each other accountable, all right? Uh, we really had to hold each other accountable. Here's my only regret. I wish we had started sooner. In fact, even before we were married, I wish someone had taught me about giving and tithing, even as a student, even as a young person, all right? And so that's why I'm committed to teaching about it every single year because I there is no better way to live than I see it, than, than to, to live in such a way where we recognize that God provides all that we need. All right, everything belongs to him, and so we honor him with our gifts. And so what, what, what about you? I, again, I just want you to take it away and just consider it for yourself, all right, and just pray about these things if you're not already doing this. And to ask yourself, are you ready to take a step of faith like this? Might this be how God wants to move in your life? And if so, start the year off right by establishing a budget. Uh, and start with giving 10% back to God each month. And again, make it the first gift you give. And try it for three months. Uh, try it for six months. And if 10% is an impossibility for you, and I recognize that for some of you that might just be the reality, then you pray about it. And you choose something else. I believe the Lord will direct you in that. And whether that's 7% or 5% or 3%, whatever it is, make it a priority, all right, and start giving it soon. And if you tried giving last year and gave up, something happened, no worries. Step out in faith and try it again. And Because uh, here's the thing, if you're not returning anything to God, all right, you're missing out on so much more 
that he wants to do in you and, and provide for you. And don't put it off until you make more. All right, don't keep kicking it down the field either because, you know, don't, don't take a pass because you might think to yourself, well, my gift won't amount to anything. It's not about the amount you give. All right, it's about the attitude of our heart. That's why Paul focuses in on the, on the heart here and the cheerful giver. And, and, because, and, and again, unfortunately for so many of us, this is just an area of our lives that we refuse to surrender to the Lord and he wants all of us. All right, he wants all of me. All right, he's got things he's working on in my life. All right, for each of us, he wants all of us. And, and I just believe there's a way of life through this world for God's people, for us, a way of life that is full of purpose and faith and freedom. But here's the hard truth. You're not going to experience that freedom until you surrender every part, until I surrender every part of who I am to Jesus. But unfortunately for so many of us, it's this area of money that really becomes that barrier. And Jesus knew that. And if you study the Gospels, it's why he talked about money and possessions over and over again because Jesus realized that there's a fundamental connection between our faith and how we think about and handle our money. I have a, somebody that I know that pastors that says, hey, we, we ought to tell our giving story so much more. That we, we've just kind of decided somewhere along the way that the giving stories are off limits. Don't talk about your giving. And um, I've got a story that I want to share of one family in our church that was willing to share their story with me and to share with you. And uh, some of you may know the Condolones. And uh, here, here's what they wrote about their story and generosity. Seven years ago, we were new to Indiana. New as in we literally knew one person in central Indiana. My wife, children, and I moved to Fishers uh, from Godfrey, Illinois, as a result of me being promoted at work. So we left our house in Illinois empty and moved into an apartment here. Needless to say, it was a season of significant life change and anxiety. At the same time, we were new Christians, working hard to have faith that our move, my new job, and the future in front of us was not only a part of God's plan, but under his control. We searched eagerly for a new church family, visiting many congregations in the area. A few months into our new life in Indiana, my wife was invited to Genesis by a co-worker. We attended the very next Sunday and immediately knew this is where God wanted us. A few weeks after attending Genesis for the first time, Paul preached on the topic of giving and generosity. Great timing, right? Uh, I remember thinking as we walked into the service that day, oh boy, here we go, the sermon on giving. And even though my wife and I were new to the Christian faith, we had heard ser sermons on giving before. And to be honest, our expectations were not good going into Paul's sermon that day. Uh, you see, our mindset at the time was one of, we don't have much to give, and we'll put a 20 in the plate every now and then and call it good. More specifically, we viewed our money as just that, our money, a scarce resource to be used for our specific purposes and well-being. But the Lord had other plans. He spoke through Paul that day in a way that we'd never experienced before, or perhaps we were not willing to experience before, and God spoke into our hearts. He helped us have the courage to take a step toward becoming a joyful giver. We left services that day and sometime soon after starting uh, to plan how we would begin tithing. And I don't think it was a full 10% in the beginning, but it was more than anything we'd ever given before. More importantly, looking back, excuse me, God was drawing us closer to him, requiring us to put our faith in him, not in how much we had in our bank account. Over the years, by God's grace, our family has matured in our faith. By no means have we arrived, and we take no credit for our spiritual growth, but God is always good, and his plan is always perfect, and even when it's hard for, under, for us to understand or take action. Today, we joyfully tithe above and beyond in good times and not so good times. The firm and powerful truth is that God has blessed us in ways beyond our imagination, truly beyond our imagination, 
And then this. So what changed? In short, God taught us that it's not our money at all. We are benefactors of his blessings, and we are entrusted to be good stewards of the resources he's given us. The Bible tells us that we can't serve two masters. Seven years ago, money was our master. Today, I'm thankful to say we put our faith in our Heavenly Father and trust Jesus Christ. Seven years ago, we did not come to Indiana for a job as we originally thought. No, we came because God has plans for us, plans that include growth and maturity. Thank you, Genesis Church, for being our church family and for all you've done to help us find our way back to God. Isn't that great? Can we celebrate that story? Isn't that an awesome story? I love that story, and I know there are so many more. I know there are a bunch here today, and I've had the privilege of hearing some of them. Here's one more thing. Because there's no ceiling or end, all right, to what God wants to do in our hearts in this area of giving, uh, if you're already giving 10%, uh, I'd like to challenge you to pray about uh, this last one, and that is to pray about becoming a progressive giver, if this isn't something that you already do. And that means you just take an even greater step of faith when it comes to your giving and generosity. Like if you've been given 10% for the last five years or 20 years, might the Lord be moving in you to take a step or two when it comes to your giving? Why is that a good idea? Well, I think faith and generosity tend to go hand in hand. You can't separate them. And so if our faith, if my faith is going to grow and thrive, well, our generosity ought to be growing alongside of it too. And again, I've heard stories of people doing just this, people here in our church, people that have influenced me and poured in uh, to me that increase their giving every year. Or instead of maybe giving more to Genesis each year, what they'll do is they'll find other ministry partners that they get excited about, and they'll give over and above to some of those partners over and above the tithe. Here's the thing about giving and generosity. When you start giving, all right, and when you continue in it, what you're going to discover is that you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. I got a friend that used to say that all the time. You can't outgive God. And it's the law of the harvest that Paul writes about here in 2 Corinthians that you reap what you sow. And the more you give, the more the Lord provides in your life. And again, I'd love to tell you all sorts of stories about how the Lord has done this for, for both Jenny and me. As I said a moment ago, we started tithing 10, or 10% 18 years ago. And 10 years ago, we started increasing our giving by roughly 1% every year. All right, And so not only have we increased our giving here to Genesis, but we give to other ministries that we get really excited about. And just a few of them are Young Life and uh, Nehemiah Vision Ministries, which we all know about, and what's happening in Albania right now. And as often as we can to just other opportunities that pop up that so many of you give to as well. And just so many lessons learned along the way. You can't outgive God and what he wants to do in our faith and in your faith and my faith. And he always provides. And again, so many of you have stories like that too. And if not, you can. Like I, I just, I promise you, you can have a story like that. And if you've been living under the pressure and the rule of money, you can make a move and trust God because he generously provides for those who action, whose actions reflect trust in him. Let's continue on because we're almost done. Verse 8, Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, all right, at all times, having most of what you need, right? No, having all that you need, he says, you will abound in every good work. See, Paul knew again that one of the fears that we have, one of the barriers is fear, all right? It was the case for the people in Corinth, all right? It's true today. So notice the promises, abundant blessings, providing for all you need and in all times. Now, that doesn't mean we get what we think we need from him. 
All right, this isn't health and wealth stuff where if you give X amount, then the Lord will provide X amount for you. It's not a guarantee either that you're not going to experience some financial challenges or difficulties along the way. But there is a promise. The promise is that God will provide. All right, and because it's a promise from God, we can hold him to that promise. And that just means that he might provide in unexpected ways for you. It, it means his blessings could take the form in a raise or a refund or a gift. His, it, it sometimes means that his provision for us is simply the wisdom to operate with maybe the little that we see ourselves having. And so, again, I can't tell you how it's going to play out for you except to say that God generously provides for those whose actions reflect trust in him. And the more we trust him, the more we get to see and participate in his work and what he's doing in and around our lives. Let me say this before I close. I know that for some of you today, you find yourself in a really tough situation right now. And there are layers to it, and there are complexities to it, and there's debt, and there's past decisions, there's medical things that you can't control that are weighing you down. One of the great opportunities we like to offer here that I know a number of you have gone through is Financial Peace University. Uh, it starts in a couple of weeks on Sunday night, January the 21st. It's a nine-week program presented by Dave Ramsey. How, how, just as, how many of you have gone through that? Just hands in the room right now. You can see we've got a bunch of people that have experienced that. Uh, again, this, it's a great opportunity. There's a fee attached to it. If that's an impossibility for you, let us know. We'll help you out in getting there. We're offering child care. You can sign up through the website. One last thing. You know, again, Jenny and I, we went through this nine years ago. All right, nine years later, we're living off a, a great budget that works for us. We're giving more than we've ever been able to give. We're investing and saving for college, and we are 100% debt-free as a family, all right? And again, I just, I love, I'd love for you to consider going through this, all right? It's a great opportunity. There are so many good things to take from it. Wrap this up, I promise. 2 Corinthians 9, let's read these last few verses here. Paul says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. I hope you'll spend some time with those words this week and just think about those promises. And again, how the Lord might be directing you because what a gift. That God not only promises to increase our faith and provide for our needs, but he says this, hey, in ways that you can't even begin to imagine, your generosity is going to make a difference in this world. It will result in thanksgiving to God, or as, or as we like to say sometimes, helping people find their way back to God. And if you are here last week, you heard me share, we had just had a number of examples of how the Lord has been providing through this church over this past year, and people coming to the Lord, we have no idea what he wants to do in this next season or in the seasons to come as we trust him, as we put our faith in him, and as we honor him in all things. What's your next move? What's the Lord want to do with this for you and in your life? It's your decision. It's your choice. But know this, that God generously provides for those whose actions reflect great trust in him. Let's pray.
God, I, I know, we know this is a, it's a tough subject, and um, I'm, I'm sensitive to it just because I know that we all come from different places. We've all got different stories and circumstances and questions and challenges, and uh, we just find peace today, Lord, that you know all of these things, and you are God of all, you are Lord of all, the creator of life, the giver and the provider of everything that we need. And I'm just thankful for a church, Lord, and for people who are making every effort. We are making every effort to say we want to live for you. We want to surrender all that we have to you and come under your leadership and guidance and direction for our lives. And so will you do that work in us, for me, for every person here today, to know which steps to take next, to take a step of faith when it comes to our finances and these other things that we're going to talk about these next few weeks. Thank you for your presence here, your guidance for us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, will you stand with us uh, as we close this morning? You know, I, I think not only for today, not only for this area of finances, but just as we look ahead to these next weeks and really all year long. I mean, our, our goal, I pray that it be your goal, your desire, your prayer to say that I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of all, every part of my life, all that I am and I ever hope to be for Jesus and under his leadership. Paul Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9.15. He closes that section out by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The one who calls us to give, he went first. The ultimate gift giver with an indescribable gift. He paved the way for us. Let's make every effort to follow him in all that we do. Let's sing together. Yeah, no.
Father God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, for the challenges you've given us. God, we pray that as we leave this week, that you would be in the center and the focus of every decision that we make, every conversation that we have. God, that you would be our one thing, and that you would stretch us and grow us as individuals to make your name great. We thank you for it in all these things, God, in Jesus' name.